0: Welcome to Standout, where you're going to hear from some exceptional entrepreneurs. You'll learn what steps they took to get them where they are and what you can do to make your mark. I'm your host, Cheryl Tan, with CherylTanMedia.com. You can find the episodes and the show notes all in one place at CherylTanMedia.com forward slash podcast. Want to connect on Twitter? You can find me there at Cheryl Tan. I know there are plenty of things battling for your attention, so I thank you for spending some time with me. I'd love to be able to get the stories of these exceptional entrepreneurs in front of more people, and reviews on iTunes make that possible. I would love it if you took the time to leave an honest review for the Stand Out with Cheryl Tan podcast on iTunes. I appreciate your time. So often you think that once you make the decision to change your life, you'll find success right away that overnight you'll be rolling in money and fame. Unfortunately, it does not work that way. Just ask Steve Alpert, who left a successful career in TV news and filmmaking to become an artist. He will tell you that it was hard, really hard, and he couldn't have done it without the emotional and financial support of his wife, Dorothy. But he will also say, when you are called to do something, you must pay attention and work really hard to make the journey meaningful. That's when you'll find success. Here's Steve Alpert. Welcome to Stand Out. I am thrilled to introduce you to our next guest, Steve Alpert, an artist and an entrepreneur. Steve, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Thanks, Cheryl. It's my pleasure.
0: I got the chance to meet you via a mutual friend, and I love your story. So, you. Where do I begin? I think we have to start with the part that we both have in common, the recovering journalist part and right. how you turned from news and journalism and deadlines into the world of art. So how did you make that transition?
1: It's a very big question, obviously. I know. But um, how did I make that? it was a very painful transition. I, I, will, I will take you back 17 years. Um, and um, actually, the real transition happened right after September 11th. Mm-hmm. I'd already made the decision that I was going to... Uh, leave television producing and become a full-time painter. But it was the the attacks of September 11th that really cemented that I think we all realized that the world changed, we all have limited time, and how do you want to make the best use of that time? And I've learned as the years have gone on that time is really your your biggest asset. It's not money, it's not things, it's time. Um, And I had a life of being on the phone, um, uh, meeting with clients, scheduling lunches, going to pitches, writing proposals, working with editors, um, producing and directing shoots, working with graphic people, um, choosing music. I mean, a very, very, very busy 100 mile an hour life. And I went from that to a room with paints and canvas, a radio, and an old dog sleeping in the hallway. Uh, and it was it was very difficult, especially Monday mornings, when I knew that everybody was going to work, and I wasn't going anywhere. I was going up to that room upstairs with my music and my paints, and I, um, it, it was very, very difficult. And I would always say, you know, well, I guess God wanted me to do this because here I am with my paints, with my canvas, and my radio, and my old dog sleeping in the hallway, so shut up and get to work. <laughs> Turn up the music and get to work and forget all the negative thoughts in my head, mm-hmm. and um, I had to do that every Monday for years. Once I got past Monday, I was okay, but it was it was very, it was excruciating, but, but I knew that that's... W- that's what I had to do and what I was meant to do. So I just, you know, uh, being an old film editor where you work at, you make tiny progress and incremental pro- progress day by day. But eventually, it's like a construction project. All of a sudden, you have a house. And all the elements have come together. So I understand that process. Plus, I was a, used to be a marathon runner and all that arduous training right. uh, and all that time. So I, I, I have the gene of patience, even though we're very impatient person. So I realized I just have to put my head down and and go to work.
0: I think it's interesting too, because in the world of TV news where you used to live and as far as your marathon running, the discipline is critical and the work is critical. So putting it in all in one chunk of time is critical in order to get an end result. And then you took that into you must have taken that mindset into the world of art. I want to read this quote to you. You have this great video on your website, and I'll link your website to my show notes. It's stevealpertart.com. and it was just the first line of it. And I I've watched your video a couple times, and I I just love the way you say it. Uh, everyone has something they were born to do, a purpose, and then you're painting, and you say this is my purpose. So somewhere, somehow you realized that creating news and footage and all that stuff for, for TV, uh, you needed another outlet. It was a calling, and we've talked about that before. How did you find the art calling within you?
1: You know, I, it, it's the kind of thing, I don't think I found it, I think it found me. Yeah. And uh, um, it was never a conscious choice. I think that I had wanted to do that uh, what I'm doing now so badly all my life that I couldn't admit that that was what I really wanted to do. Mm. Kind of the old hippie bohemian inside of me uh, that could just live in a little idyllic shack along along the water somewhere and make my paintings and don't care about mortgages and whatever. <laughs> but of course now I have, my wife and I have two homes and you know we have a really, really wonderful life. Um, it's not as simple as the dream of being a kind of a starving artist uh, well I'm not a starving artist um, although I've gone through difficult periods um, the calling came to me it was, it was, it was just there in my body and, I, and a lot of people said to me oh that's such a great choice that you're making it's so great that you're going to make this change and my thought bubble over my head was I, I don't have a choice this is not a choice this is, this is very clearly what I, what I have to do and the, 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 the other choice to make is, is it a trap or is it paradise? <laughs>
0: you
1: know, so I, I've chosen more often than not to make it complete paradise. Although there are times when, when, when it wasn't or, or it isn't just like anything else. Right. But, um, you know, as uh, in life, it's all about, it's all about making choices that are well informed and rational and right. And sometimes making choices that are irrationally just go for it right. and, uh, It was kind of a combination of the both for me.
0: So you talked about your two houses and your wife and a lifestyle that you had to keep up after a job that you left. How did you turn your passion, which we realized is a calling, the art, how did you turn that into something that would support your family? This this show is called Standout and our audience is entrepreneurs. And so they're all in different industries trying to figure out how to be a standout and make a living doing so. So how did you turn from passion to profit?
1: Early on, it seemed to be pretty easy. I uh, made a lot of paintings. I sold them at outdoor arts and crafts fairs in the summertime out of the east end of Long Island. I sold lots of paintings, and back then I was selling 50 paintings a year. If you lined up 50 paintings along all that was a lot. You know, maybe $200, $300. I wasn't making a tremendous amount of money. It got to be around 2005 or 2006 where I did make a lot of money, and then the uh, economy changed, and the art business didn't change. It evaporated. That's the first thing to disappear in an economic sure. turn down, uh, downturn. Uh, that people don't spend discretion, don't have discretionary discretionary income that they're going to spend on art. That's the first thing it goes. Also, it's the first thing that comes back when the economy changes because people love to buy art. It's a, it's a great luxury. There are art hunters out there. and People are passionate about art. Um, so what I had to do was go on the road I did all these art fairs with my car and a trailer and took my dog when I could. And uh, it was very, very hard, hard work having to con- contend with weather and very long hours, hard physical labor, getting the tents up and the uh, panels and dealing with paintings. And I have large paintings. Mm-hmm. So it was a physical and mental, uh, another, another marathon. I did that for a couple of years up and down the East Coast. Um, out to Des Moines, uh, just you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of solo miles. Uh, very, very difficult, and it wasn't really all that profitable. It mm-hmm. was profitable, but but not a lot. I'm very, very blessed. My wife uh, is a CEO of a of a small business, and uh, she she has done very, very well. And it was when I made the change after I had finished sixteen training videos in nine months time in 1999. At the end of that. I said to myself, and I said to to Dorothy, I said, "Uh, I I don't want to do this anymore. I've been doing this for 30 years. I I need need to do something different. She said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, "Um, I don't know. And then she said, well, why didn't you go for the painting? I said, what do you mean? She said, what do I mean? She says, make paintings and then sell them. I said, oh, really? And uh, I didn't know anybody in the art business. I didn't know any artists. I didn't know anything about that at all. So it was a very, very steep learning curve. And she said, no, don't worry. I'll make the money for the first year and for for the year. And then we'll be fine. Then you'll start making money. But I knew that my skill level was nowhere near what it needed to be. And it would take me years to to get to a place. So I was still doing video work, freelance video work to, uh, along, along the way. Um,
0: you talked about failure in your, in your video right. about painting so many different kinds of paintings yes. to find the ones that would work.
1: Right. Um, I've learned a long time ago that, uh, in fact, Wolf Kahn, who was a great American landscape painter, sold tons and tons of paintings over the years, wrote a book. And one of the things he says, when you, when you first start out, you have to throw away your first 500 paintings. That's a brutal statement. <laughs> yes, maybe, it is. <laughs> maybe a little bit overstated, but um, like in like in any any other entrepreneur, like anybody else in business, we learn by failure. You learn how to write by saying, "Well, I didn't really get that right." And um, I had a I learned how to write when I worked at an ad agency for a year. I was a producer, and I had a boss who he couldn't he had no reading comprehension. He made me crazy. I, I had to, In our group, I had to do all the writing of the proposals. And every morning, I would give him the five pages that I'd written the night before, and he'd look at it, and then he'd throw it on the floor, and he'd say, I don't understand. <laughs> this, this went on for the better part of a year. Right. But when I came out of that, I knew how to write, mm-hmm. because I could write for him. And he, his, his reading comprehension was very, very rudimentary. But if I could learn to write for him, right. then I could learn how to write. So. It's kind of, um, you know, you fail. I and mean, it's the same thing in painting. I, I, I make a painting, it's not right. I, I, don't, I don't know how to fix it. Sometimes I have to wait. Sometimes the painting takes two years. Sometimes I make some of my best paintings in three hours. But it's taken me my entire life to be able to make that painting in three hours' time. So it's okay. never a fair question when people say, how long did it take you to make that painting? And the answer is, you know, my whole life. Right. Shut up. It didn't take me, you know, three hours. It took me three hours because I learned how to do this over thousands and thousands and tens and 20 thousands of hours learning how to do it. So, uh,
0: I listened that- to your story. Well, no, it's perfect because I listened to your story and I think evolution cause that's, that's really what it is. An evolution of when you first picked up that paintbrush and said, I'm an artist. It's different from where you are right now because you made some oh, yeah. partnerships. You realized, yes. uh, 10 years ago that you had, another type of calling related to your art.
1: Correct. So talk
0: about that military connection and where that has led you.
1: When I was a kid, I, I was born in 1951. That's six years after the end of World War II. So when I grew up in the 50s, the United States was a very patriotic place. And there were a lot of movies. And when we went to the movies as a kid on a Saturday afternoon, we took the bus downtown in New Rochelle, New York to see the double feature. There were a lot of World War II movies. So it was a post-World War II culture. Now that's what I grew up in. Uh, very, very patriotic. My father was in World War II. I have a stepfather who was in World War II. And, and all, all the uncles, all the, everybody, all the teachers, it was, it was all World War post-war culture in, in America. Well, that all changed uh, during the Vietnam War. And the Vietnam War was a uh, very, very difficult time. The country was torn apart. I had wanted to go to West Point as a sophomore in high school. But, uh, and my father had taken me to see our local congressman. He said, would you like me to initiate the paperwork? And I said yes, we said yes, and then the New York Times came out with a statistic not too, uh, not too long after that, stating that the average West Point graduate, second lieutenant in Vietnam, had a life expectancy of about three weeks. So we said, maybe this is not a great time to do this. I really wanted to be in the military in some way, but, um, I had turned against the war and especially after those kids at Kent state were, were shot and killed that, that radicalized millions of us at that time. And (laughs) I'm embarrassed to say, but I was embarrassed to be an American at that time. And, uh, you know, we all knew we were being lied to and it was, and there was something really not, not right about that. Well, um, I went to college. I had a high lottery number, so I w- never got a call. I, I, and I'm 64 now, and most of the Vietnam guys are a couple of, like maybe three years older than me. I was just underneath the, 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 uh, the bulk of uh, the average age of all the guys who went. And um, what happened then was in 1985 – I, w- I went to Washington, D.C. in the summertime. It was very hot and humid, as it is in D.C., as you know, mm-hmm. and wound up in front of the uh, Vietnam Veteran Memorial Wall. And I had, um, chokes me up to think of it now, I had an experience uh, with all, the, uh, all those names on that wall and that my name was not on the wall and that it could have been. And I felt when I was there it should have been and that I did not participate in that, I felt, I felt awful. And I, I broke down, I finally dragged myself out of there. And uh, and then I then I, 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 let, I forgot about it. It was a very, very deep experience. And then I live, we live five miles from, from ground zero. Mm. So when September 11th happened, that reawakened, I think that reawakened patriotism in this country. Definitely. Like, like I've never seen. I thought we were going to fight this war with, with American flags. Everywhere around New York City, there were little there were little shrines in every little park with candles and signs, you know, um, people missing. Those people were never found, obviously.
0: Yeah.
1: And, uh, and then it was 2003, on my birthday, November 16th, that I read about uh, two Black Hawk helicopters of ours that collided in midair over northern Iraq, and we lost 17 people. And for some reason, that's just like... Gripped me in my throat and in my heart. And being in the news business, as you know, you know you can only get so emotionally involved on a daily basis. Otherwise, you can't do your job. So I had I had developed uh, that that hard shell, but I had not been in the news business for a long time, and that hard shell was gone, mm-hmm. and I was older, and and I understood that these young people, these seventeen young people, would never get. To have a life, they never got to come home, to have, to get married, to have children, to have, and 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 seek their own American dream that that they were dying for, and and that we have. So a tremendous, a flood of gratitude. I, I just got it. I just understood how, how I understood the mechanics of how this thing works, and that I've had such a wonderful life, and and I regret deeply that I did not serve in uniform. So I decided to make a uh, a large painting of a Black Hawk helicopter, which led to a whole series of them. And I didn't know what to do with them. That Dorothy came up. Dorothy doesn't visit my studio that often. It's too messy for her. But she came up a couple of months later, and I've been doing landscapes up to that point. And she saw I had, you know, seven, eight huge helicopter She goes, What the hell's going on up here? <laughs> I said, I said, I don't know. She said, What are you gonna do with these things? I said, I don't know. So it, 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 it took time, but I eventually came to realize that these paintings were to uh, uh, raise funds and consciousness, consciousness about the men and women who serve in uniform. And so it became, it just grew and grew and grew. And uh, I, uh, the two buddies of mine uh, went to Walter Reed, uh, the old Walter Reed, and we visited with four young veterans, two, two young guys who were severely, severely wounded. And that day completely changed my life. Mm-hmm. So I never looked back from that. And I, I mentioned to you, I, I still have four little American flags by the uh, the edge of my driveway for those four young guys who I, I met that morning. I think about them every day. I don't have their names, I don't know what happened to them, but I know two of them are still, and will always be at the effect of what happened to them um, uh, in service for us. And uh, it moves me profoundly and I've just gotten deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And, uh, as we mentioned, I travel to Washington DC twice a month now from New York. Uh, and I've have an ever uh, growing circle of friends and, um, the work, the military work I make is very much appreciated obviously in the nation's capital. New York is a, is a different kind of a thing. Uh, but I, I have, uh, I've found my people.
0: And you mentioned that to me before, which is right. it's incredible it is an incredible community, and that's actually uh, it's an understatement clearly yes, it is. but, I, but I, it,
1: I love every single last one of them they are they are so pure hearted and 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 courteous and and grateful and competent it's it's amazing
0: yeah and so that to me then gives your paintings their purpose which you knew before, but then... uh, Well, now it's playing out in reality. Exactly, and it's now even bigger than yourself.
1: Right. I have paintings at the Marine Museum. I have paintings at the Pentagon. I I made a painting of General Odierno, who was the uh, previous uh, uh, chief of staff of the Army. I made a painting of him, and I presented to him in his office at the Pentagon in March. It was wonderful. And then um, I made a painting, a triptych, called Portrait of a Woman. It's a black woman G.I., facing a flag. It's three panels, three canvases in in as she's in, in a salute. And uh, that triptych was at the Biden residence uh, through the holidays. <clears throat> and now it's going to be unveiled at the Women's Memorial Museum at Arlington Cemetery uh, in end of February. So, you know, from making those first little Blackhawks to <laughs> that actually having, you know, paintings in places that will be way past my lifetime is uh gratifying in a way that I could never even imagine would even occur when I was, when I was in, you know, Monday mornings, so depressed about not having anywhere to go. (laughs)
0: There's (laughs) certainly a journey. I mean, that is a journey. (laughs) Exactly.
1: exactly. So I wrote a book also, it's called The Unexpected Journey, um, because that's exactly what it is. And, and the reason I wrote the book was because I wanted to know what had happened. You know, writers write books for other people to enjoy, but they write books for themselves. Artists, make art for themselves.
0: Sure.
1: Uh, and because uh, they, they're exploring themselves. I mean, uh, the reason artists make art is because they want to know, they want to learn the truth about themselves. And, they, and, and we do that through making art. And hopefully, if we're lucky, others will uh, appreciate it for mm-hmm. the value that it has to them. Maybe they'll even pay money for it if you're really lucky. And, um, you know, it's kind of a, a, a very unusual pursuit. It doesn't really, I mean, you're not making widgets. You're making something that comes out of you and it means something to me. But it may, the painting that, that I make may mean something completely different to someone else.
0: So that's my question then is as you're painting um, Legacy, for example, which is a lovely piece. Thank you. What do you want people to feel? And is that your job? Is that your job to make people feel, or what kind of reaction do you want them to have? Or is that something that is regulated by you?
1: It's a good question, Cheryl. Um, I, I would say that if if I am moved by it, I'm not that really that different from any other human being. You all have the same wants and needs. Yeah. If I'm moved by it, chances are you will be moved by it and others will be moved by it. I learned that when I was a, a filmmaker, that um, if I can make a certain sequence work, and you, you're telling a certain part of the story in a way that is understandable and deeply meaningful, others will laugh, they'll cry, right. they'll see some deeper meaning about their own lives, and, and and that's and that's the that's art. That's how that's how it works. So if I can move myself, there was a painting I made uh, called Portrait of a Soldier. And it was a, uh, a, a a black man, a sergeant in Iraq. It was a, from a photograph taken by uh, an American GI that happened to come my way, and I was scared to death of this of this portrait. First of all, I'm not a portrait painter, but mm-hmm. there was something about his look. And he was wounded; he had a he had a slight head wound, and his his uh, helmet was a little bit back on his head, so you can see the you could see the uh, the gauze. He wasn't he didn't have a gash or anything, but he had wrap but he was okay and he was just standing there resting on some oil cans or there was gear whatever and he had that kind of thousand yard stare and it took me a year and a half to get up the guts to make that uh painting and i did make the painting and after i made it i it was it was so surprised i I collapsed in a little heap just like just like when i was at the vietnam veteran memorial wall it moved me because that was the guy who i wanted to be and, and, and would never get a chance to be. I wanted to be that guy. So, uh, you know, I sketched out the painting initially, and then I, I buried the canvas in various parts of the studio. I might be driving two, 300 miles away. There's like a little light bulb, and he's talking to me like, you gonna paint me, or are you gonna... <laughs> and he was, he was daring me, and right. he, was call- he was calling me names, and this is completely crazy. And uh, I finally said, "Okay, I, I have to do it because this guy's not going to shut up."
0: See, I don't I'm look glad at you did.
1: <laughs> thank you. I don't see paintings as inanimate objects; right. they're, they're, they're alive.
0: They're talking to you. They're telling you things. They're they're making you do the work. Yeah.
1: So if they're talking to me, chances are they're going to talk to
0: others. Right. Right. I thank you so much for your honesty for sharing with us your your process, the way you're thinking. Before I get to my last question, I I just wanted to ask you, I mean, as far as habits, to kind of make it more tactical for those who are listening and want a way to better their own lives, whether they're uh, artists or restaurant owners or bankers, whatever it is they do, what kinds of habits do you have that you believe have helped you in your journey? I knew you were
1: gonna ask me this, so I was thinking about it. I meditate a half an hour a day. Uh, That quiets my mind and clears out uh, clutter, things I don't have to spend time on during the course of the day. I do it in the morning if I can, usually in the morning. Um, I work out, in the wintertime I swim about a half an hour a day, maybe five days a week, maybe four days a week. I walk, I play golf in the summer, I play tennis. I I feel that physically I have to be active I organize each day usually the night before I make a list of things I've got to do the next day um, I'm very aware uh, because I have two studios I have a studio in New York and I have a studio I have to be organized enough to know what to work on when and what's important how to how to manage my time mm-hmm. I said my father was a very successful guy and he was an entrepreneur and I said to him one time I said what What's the secret to your success? <laughs> you always have to ask a successful person that. Right. He said he said it's two words, time management. And I think that's really the key to everything. You know, what what are you choosing to work on now? You don't have to put a time limit on it. You don't have to be stringent about that, but you have to know what is it what's urgent, what needs to be what what's calling your attention right now. Mm-hmm. I think that's really really key and what you have to do. And also, also I think I think it's really important to really like the people you're working with. I only work with people who are A++. If they're not A++, they that I, I don't travel with them very far. So I work with people who are good to their word. They tell me something. I can count on them. There, there was a whole many, many years of being in the news business and whatever. And a lot of people say a lot of things, but I decided – also, when I got into the art business, I would only work with people who I liked, who I wanted to work with. Right. And I think that's a, that's an, an important thing. Otherwise, it, it gets dirty. It becomes about something else. As I said, I, I don't make widgets. So I'm not in the widget business.
0: Well, and it also goes back to your whole purpose as far as time. Time being the most important thing. Right. I spend time with people who you don't feel have the same values and want the same things. So that makes complete sense.
1: Also, I, I just want to say a little thing. I'm, I'm a cancer survivor. And uh, when, when someone tells you that you have cancer, and I'm, I'm good, but when someone tells you you have cancer, all of a sudden you realize mm-hmm. that, wow, how much time do I have? But you also realize that, wow, th- there's an end to this thing. And I don't know, and, and none of us know how much time we have. I, I, I met a fellow a month ago, he was 46 years old, I just found out yesterday he had a heart attack and he died, 46. So you never really, really know. So you have to make the most of what's in front of you and be very, and make conscious decisions of, of how you're going to spend that time.
0: Thank you for your time. And before we go, one last question, which would be, yes, what makes you a standout, Steve?
1: Oh, uh, you know, I think just very simple, not quitting. <laughs> You know, recently I was just, I was offered a, a huge contract, which is, I, I don't know if it's going to really happen or not, but, um, I thought to myself, wow, I, I never thought this, something like this would happen. And I thought the only reason this is happening is because I didn't quit. So you, if you want to achieve anything, how, how, how do you achieve it if you, if you stop? Right. Right. You may not achieve it today or next week or next year, but you got to keep going at it. Right.
0: Like what so, if you had stopped when you were painting landscapes? Like what if you had stopped back then because it was I, hard?
1: Right. What if I what what if I had stopped after the economy went went south? Right. And I, and I couldn't. And I had just signed a contract with a, a a terrific dealer, and he after after the economy crashed, about three months after we signed the contract, he said, "I'm sorry." I said, "I've been." He said, "I've been in this this art business for thirty years. I've never seen it like this. This is the the worst time to introduce a new artist." So he said, "So." You know, you're on your own. You got to do the best you can. And, and I had a retreat back to doing video work for uh, the better part of the year. But I came back, but I, I, never, I never completely quit. I did not go in the studio for four months. I didn't even turn the light up for four months. And uh, that's the only time since I started painting that I completely stayed away because it was, it was devastating. But I got, I, I got off the floor and came back.
0: And we're glad that you did.
1: Well, thank you, Cheryl.
0: (laughs) Your website, of course, will be at our show notes, CherylTanMedia.com. Steve Alpert, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Cheryl.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Standout. I suggest visiting Steve's website at SteveAlpertArt.com and taking a look at his work. Beautiful pieces are there. Interested in other episodes of the Standout Podcast? They're all together in one place at CherylTanMedia.com forward slash podcast. If you'd like to be reminded when new standout episodes come out, you can sign up for my newsletter at CherylTanMedia.com. Until next time, thanks so much for joining me. I'm Cheryl Tan.